0: This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, Steve Govett made waves by announcing he's leaving the Colorado Mammoth. But for what? The National Lacrosse League handed out their final awards. No real surprises on the major winners. The trade deadline in the WLA came and passed without any fireworks. And we are reaching the final weeks of junior lacrosse on the road to the Minto. All that and more on OTCB. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you for tuning in wherever you are listening to. Happy belated Canada Day and happy Independence Day for all of our friends and fans south of the border. It is July 4th. And get ready for some fireworks. If you want to get a hold of me, you can. Teddy.Jenner at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Twitter, at off the crossbar. It was a pretty tame couple of weeks in the NLL, um, other than the awards being announced and all the confusion and cluster that came with it. But as I have been teasing for weeks on end, there was a major announcement coming from the Colorado Mammoth. I almost said Colorado Avalanche for some reason. From the Colorado Mammoth, and it finally came out last Friday, and as Chris Fox said to me, it kind of went with little fanfare. And I don't know if it's because we're now into the heart of summer and with the awards being done, people have kind of tuned off their NLL radar. But Steve Govett, the president, general manager, governor, the man who sort of started the whole Western Rocky mountain wave of lacrosse for him to be leaving is a huge deal. He spent 15 years with the Colorado mammoth, even more with the franchise when they date back to their days as the Washington power in Washington, DC. He's a man that helped grow the game in the United States. He's helped grow it here in Canada as well. And the news of him leaving, is monumental because it's going to lead to bigger things. And Steve's going to join us on the podcast um, today, and we have a very in-depth conversation with him about um, his future endeavors, what this means, why he left, some of his memories with the Colorado Mammoth organization, and so much more. But as soon as it came out, I was like, okay, this is going to get a lot of people talking. And it got the... You know, the few normal people on the Twitterverse kind of hullabalooing about what could be next. Where is he going? Is he leaving the the lacrosse world? Is he staying with the National Lacrosse League? The way the NLL kind of worded their tweet saying, you know, thank you for 15 years in Denver and thank you for 24 years in the pro lacrosse game. It sounded like he was leaving the lacrosse world. But that's not true. He's not. He's staying with the National Lacrosse League. He's going to continue to help it grow, but he's still very tight-lipped about where he's going. But again, there wasn't a lot of fanfare about this. Not a lot of people were either up in arms or were wondering what the heck's going on or what is going to happen to the Mammoth, who's going to be their president, who's going to be their GM. All those questions are still to be answered, but nobody was really asking them. And I thought, you know, with the magnitude of his departure, the man who started the Colorado Mammoth, for him to be leaving, and nobody really kind of batting too many eyes at it, just kind of was odd to me. And so what it does do is it brings up the whole conversation about what's next, expansion in the NLL, and that has already started to create waves and people are already trying to start to starting to connect the dots about what could be next. There's been tons of speculation and rumors out there about what is next. I've hinted towards them on this podcast right here on this show. And people are going to ask questions, they're going to try to connect the dots and a lot of people have been reaching out to me indirectly or through private messages and text, ask me what's going on. And I can't divulge too much. I divulge what I can. And people are already saying, oh, well, what's up with expansion in this market? Or what's up with possible expansion in this market? Is the National Lacrosse League going back to Edmonton, to Philly, to Dallas, to Long Island, to Halifax, to San Diego? All of these questions are being asked. And then Marissa and Jemmy, over at collegecross.com, or through College Cross, writes an article saying that the National Lacrosse League plans to expand to San Diego and Philly in 2019. And in her article, she alludes that Steve Govett will be joining the San Diego program. He'll be joined by Joseph Tsai, who is a multi-billionaire, and... When I talked to Steve, he was very anti-that. And he wasn't too impressed with those words being written and those rumors coming out. And we'll get into that. But as I've often learned, where there's smoke, there is often fire. And with Joseph Tsai being at the lacrosse, um summit that was a few weeks ago in Boston at the NCAA Final Four uh, with pictures of Nif- Nick Sakevich uh hobnobbing with some socialites in Halifax surfacing, you know the early reports from John Barnard about this big long expansion plan that Nick Zekovich had uh, of all these cities and all these different towns um, across North America of possible locations for the National Lacrosse League. You have to start to think that something will be coming shortly. And I can tell you, something will be coming shortly. I'm not at, at liberty to say. And it's unfortunate that there are these non-disclosure agreements that Nick Sakevich and the league has with all these prospective owners and prospective cities and arenas because all we have now is hearsay and speculation and rumor And nobody will go on record to say what is true and what is not true. We can only ask people directly. But even when we ask people directly, they still don't always necessarily give us the 100% truth. So we don't really know. Is the Njemi article realistic? Is it factual? For as long as I've known Marissa and Jemmy, she has been a young girl who has tried to pave her way into the lacrosse media market. And nobody has ever really given her her dues. Well, you know what? She's a girl that has gone out and created a lacrosse-specific website, a lacrosse-specific blog talk radio uh, station essentially um, has gotten tons and tons of people writing about the game, and she, for lack of lacrosse experience, does a pretty good job of sourcing out information and finding out details. Now, are all of her facts always correct? No. Is everything she says on point? No. However, she does have ground to stand on in some of the things that she has posted and some of the things that she has said. And when she writes this article about all these possibilities of San Diego, of Philadelphia, of Halifax, maybe even Dallas or Long Island, you have to wonder how deep does that truth go? And then when Nick Sikiewicz, when he was talking at the Rocket Sports uh, media conference a few weeks ago, says that expect two teens for 2019, maybe even four, and then a week and a half later, the N'Jemmy article comes out, and amongst that time, Steve Govett happens to leave Colorado. Maybe it's time we start putting pieces together. So, in saying that, we spoke with Steve Govett. As mentioned, he was the president GM governor of the Colorado Mammoth for 15 years. He's now stepped down. We don't know where he's going publicly. We ask him if he can tell us. You'll hear his answer. We'll ask him about the article. You'll hear that answer. And we'll ask him a whole bunch more. The first question I asked him was, how did this decision to leave the Mammoth all come about?
1: Well, uh, you know what? I... My time with the Mammoth has been outstanding. I, I cherish every moment I've had in the National Lacrosse League, and, and I have so, so many people um, that uh, that I'm thankful for um, in my career with the Mammoth and in the National Lacrosse League, and with the Wings and the Power, and you know. And, and so, um, the Colorado Mammoth is in a great position. Uh, I'm I'm excited about uh, where they're they're headed, the roster that they have, um, the coaching staff. Dan Carey uh, is just an amazing individual, and and uh, so you know for me it was an opportunity for me to explore opportunities to do something new and and explore opportunities to to get out there and. You know, I'm I'm 50 years old. Turned 50 this year, and decided that uh, it was time for me to uh, uh, to see if I could help the National Lacrosse League grow and and do some other
2: things. Obviously, um, your future endeavors are still unknown. Uh, an article came out saying that you have possibly some ties to a San Diego franchise uh, with a guy by the name of Joseph Tsai. Um, is there any truth to those? Can you elaborate on those, or what can you say to to those speculated rumors of expansion and and you being involved with San Diego? Well, I can certainly say that uh, I do know Joe Sy. We've had a number of conversations.
1: Uh, He's an amazing individual, a tremendous businessman. Uh, He clearly uh, puts lacrosse at the top of his list of passions, um, you know he he 's a really dynamic individual who's who wants to see the game grow he 's obviously mm-hmm. involved with the with two teams in in hong kong and and Taiwan for their representative teams of those two um, two entities and and was supportive of them in the two thousand and fourteen world games uh which is where we kind of got connected mm-hmm. uh, on the event here in Denver and I was with uh I was with Team Canada and he was obviously the major benefactor for those two programs. Uh Scott Browning is a person that uh was kind of a, the linchpin to that relationship. But uh mm-hmm. I can say Joe's an amazing guy and, and and Joe has some some significant ideas and passion about how to grow the game of lacrosse and, and it's going to take people like Joe Side uh and be to be a part of, you know, the next chapter uh, for the game of lacrosse to, to get to critical mass and get into the mainstream and, and people like him are going to be vitally important. Um, you know, with regards to the article, it's, uh, I think really premature. I think, Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is what happens when you get bloggers who aren't journalists and they just kind of write stuff off the cuff, you know, no sources are cited, uh, and they don't go to the source. Nobody called Mm -hmm. me. Nobody asked me about it. Um, so, quite frankly, um, you know, you get what you
2: pay for when you start reading that type of stuff. You've been closely involved with, with the expansion uh, and working closely with Nick Sikiewicz. Um What can you update people on? What have you heard? What do you know? Well, I
1: think Nick, you know, and I, I'm obviously off the Board of Governors at this point, but mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, the, the thing that I'm most excited about is, is the level of professionalism at the league office and, and the level of, of growth that I see, you know, that Nick and his um, crew at the league office with, with Dave Rowan and Ashley Dabb and, and Kevin Morgan, and, and these guys are doing a great job. Justin Rambino, who's been there a long time, and, you know, the people that are contributing there to, you know, putting this league in a position, you know, from a financial perspective, from a commercial perspective, you know, and changing – changing the dynamic, if you will, and putting us out there as, you know, as a next up and coming, you know, professional league. And and Ooh. I think there's a ton of people that are um, taking notice of the National Lacrosse League at the highest level of sports investment. And I think that for me is, and I think for all of the, the members of the board of governors and the people within the National Lacrosse League, I think that's our, our single biggest and has been our single biggest challenge is trying to get credibility uh, mm-hmm. amongst those, those people. And I think people are starting to take notice. And so the the number of conversations that they're having, the number of people that they're connecting to and making, you know, uh, making, you know, those networking opportunities and creating the network opportunities amongst high-end sports buyers, if you will, or mm-hmm. sports investors in the, in North America, I think they're making huge strides and and that's exciting uh to have been a part of and, and seeing that, you know, happen or go to the next level is
2: is something that I want to be a part of. Uh so yourself and Josh Gross are departing. Can you give us any teaser of where you're going, Steve? <laughs> Can't do it, Teddy, unfortunately. We're uh uh we're we're
1: having a lot of discussions right now. I, I will yeah. say that. There is something that is close to uh, close to happening, but uh, we're not in a position to talk about it again. Um not sure where the information came from that was in the article, but it's uh, not something I can chat about currently. And, uh, and I'm hoping that, uh, you know, lots, lots has to happen for it to, to be put in place. Mm-hmm. And lots of people have to say yes to a lot of things. Uh, and that can get derailed pretty
2: quickly. But uh, I think momentum is positive and uh, exciting things on the future so let's go back to a yes that happened 15 odd years ago when you were with the washington power um how did you get uh, a club and get the cronky sports entertainment group uh to say yes to coming to denver
1: it's a long story but
2: um at the time we
1: were an undercapitalized team in washington dc and struggling to you know pay rent and pay players and and do the things that we needed to do to be, you know, just a viable team in the National Lacrosse League. And, yeah. and so uh, my owner had, um, he he had a, an idea of what how he wanted to do things. I started to go out and try and find new buyers, new owners uh, for the club and went down a long list of people through a number of different ideas and, and talked to a number of different cities. Edmonton was one of them. I can remember a native Canadian band of, of people and their elders wouldn't take our call because they thought we were a power company trying to sell them electrical. Um, <laughs> I remember we that. at was the Washington Power and <laughs> they wouldn't take our call. And, um, but met with some great people and ultimately Edmonton came into the lead. And, mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know, so we, we planted some seeds there. I had a ton of conversations really all around. Um, interestingly enough, one of those conversations with, with, was with a guy with Monumental Sports uh, who worked for Ted Leonsis at the time in mm-hmm. Washington, a guy named Declan Bolger, who's just been hired for Cronky Sports as the chief marketing officer. Oh, wow. And literally his first day was my last day. So he was <laughs> he was the president of Monumental Sports in the Washington Capitals um, back 15 years ago and, and just started with Cronky Sports on my last day. So it was, it was kind of funny. But back to the story, I mean, at the end of the day, um made a ton of phone calls and, and yeah. had gotten really good at telling our story and telling the story of the National Cross League and, and Gary and Paul Gate and Freddie Jenner who was on our oh, team, throwing names around. on us we had. Whoa, I, mean, I mean Freddie Jenner, superstar <laughs> Freddie Jenner. Um, so anyway, um went through this process and and ended up calling um roundabout way to get there but but ended up calling Charlotte Graham, and Charlotte Graham was Pierre Lacroix's assistant at the time, Pierre Lacroix, the GM of the Avalanche, and P- Charlotte Graham, uh, so I started actually talking about playing at Magnus Arena in DU, uh, which is about a 10,000-seat arena, 9,500-seat arena, and her, um, the athletic director, associate athletic director was a guy named Ron Graham, who was an NHL guy, played goalie in the NHL for a long time, but he was the associate athletic director At DU, I think he's still there. He connects me to his wife, Charlotte Graham. Charlotte Graham sends me to two people uh, within Cronky Sports. One's a guy named Charlie Wright, who was instrumental in in creating our opportunity with Cronky Sports. And the other one was a guy named Dave Ehrlich. And David Ehrlich, uh, who is best friends, uh, one of my best friends today, uh, became the CEO of Cronky Sports. But he never returned my calls, and I I bust his chops about that forever. Um, but Charlie Wright did accept my call and, and he went through this process with me and and we ultimately got them to say yes, and we were launching at the time the Colorado Crush the arena football team with Glen sure. Elway and Pat Bowling and Stan Cronkey as owners and they said, Look, if we're going to go do this you know they own the Avalanche and the Nuggets at the time in Pepsi Center, but if we're going to launch this sports conglomerate, you know we should launch it.' and mm-hmm. and you know we we're, we should do it you know, we're going to be this company let's do it and so Paul Andrews at the time who was a chief ticketing officer uh, for Cronky Sports was kind of leading the charge with Tom Filand and a number of other people um, that were involved in the process but Don Elliman interestingly enough who was the president of Cronky Sports at the time played lacrosse at Middlebury College and, and uh so he had a significant passion for the game and it's Interesting how these things play out, but uh, he said yes. Everybody else fell in line, and uh, and we got the chance to launch the mammoth in uh, in the summer of two
2: thousand two. And you guys, was it almost immediate, kind of like Saskatchewan was, that that you guys were accepted, it actually, and, it, and 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 the fans just took to it like dogs to water on a hot day. It was. I mean, it was it was a really interesting dynamic this is because we sold about 3,000
1: season tickets prior to game one and so everybody kind of said look if we do 7,500 per game we'll be happy and and we think we'll do okay and so at the time I had three salespeople that were out there kind of you know pushing the pedals and and making things work and and uh, you know we had 3,000 sold to game or 3,000 season tickets sold to game one and then we just kind of went from there and then uh, we did this preseason game, which everybody has heard of, the preseason game following a hockey game. So yeah. it was after an ABS Montreal Canadiens game, and we did a preseason game on December sixth of two thousand two, and and we kept the, the bars open Ooh. and sold beer for like three bucks, yeah, and hot dogs were a dollar or something, right? And so we kept it open. And we literally had 12,000 people stay from a Friday night hockey game. We played the Philadelphia Wings, and we stayed from a Friday night hockey game. And and 12,000 people stayed and absolutely just loved the sport. So at that yeah. point in time, for our January 3rd home opener, ticket sales just kind of blew up. Yeah. And we had a line out the door with a full box office of sellers. So every window in the box office was open and even opened up a table for temporary sales. And, and we had a line literally down the street to, and you would know this uh, where the Conoco station is the Conoco yep. gas station down the street it's about a, a quarter mile. of a mile through the parking lot. And there was a line to get tickets. So I had to walk up to Les Bartley. We were playing the Toronto rock at the time we walked up to Les Bartley. And I said, Les, it wasn't a TV game. And Eddie Como and Derek Keenan were both coaches at the time. Yeah. And so we're kind of all talking, and I said, fellas, we have to hold the start yeah. of the game um, for a half an hour to get these people in. Are you guys okay with that? And Les Bartley said, Steve, if you guys got that many people outside are waiting to get in, we're absolutely going to hold the game. So yeah. the spirit of growing the game, and, and that's that's a part of – the national lacrosse league that I've always been thrilled with. And people know that we go to battle and, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's, you know, relationships and enemies and whatnot. But the bottom line is most of the guys and most of us at the lacrosse level have unbelievably fantastic relationships. And, uh, you know, I I spent time with Tracy Kaluski and Josh Sanderson today at a youth lacrosse tournament. I mean, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's just such a small group and the camaraderie is so strong for people that you know, don't know that uh, from players on up through GMs. As you know, as a former guy and a former player, we all stay pretty tight to each other. Uh, And so Les Bartley, you know, in his wisdom was like, 100% absolutely we're going to hold the game. And we did for half an hour. We got 16,200 people (laughs) in the building. And and, uh, it was an instant classic.
2: Yeah. Double
1: overtime win. Brian Langtree passed Bob Watson and double overtime for the win.
2: Couldn't write a better script. It, it worked out well. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was the best move you ever made as a general manager of the Colorado Mammoth? Drafting Dylan Ward number three overall. Ah, yeah.
1: And did you think he, he would be there? Did I think he would be there? Yeah, I was pretty yeah. certain he was going to be there at the time. And, and I honestly don't remember the two guys that went ahead of him. But uh, certainly Dylan Ward was, was a big a pick and I think he's going to be the the best goalie in this league for, for many years to come. And and I look forward to seeing him play for many years to come. And I will admire his game from afar at this point, but uh, you know, Adam Jones, drafting Adam Jones was a good one. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's ones that you have to do out of necessity that were, that were tough. I, you know, obviously Matt Vince was a tough one to trade away, but you know, it was uh, a challenging situation with him and his job and, Mm-hmm. And uh, and people that were representing him, um, you know, and so we ultimately decided to pick up John Grant, who was a great, you know, has been a great name for Colorado and 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 Rochester, obviously National Baseball mm-hmm. League legend, and and you know having had, you know, Gary Gate and John Grant, Gavin Prout, you know, legends, and finding yes. Gavin Prout as a free agent certainly has to go up on that list of, of very good moves and. You know, and that almost didn't happen, but uh, it was him and Gene Ash and, and those two guys helped us uh, and, and Nick Carlson. And, and Nick Carlson, yeah. Those guys yeah. helped us to win a championship in 2006.
2: Um, I don't want to call it the worst move, but is there a, a move that you would think back on and say, I really wish I hadn't done that? <laughs> um,
1: you know what? I, I'd love to tell you, you don't remember the bad ones. Um, the uh, I think it, it comes down to, and I've said this many times, I've said it on your podcast. You make yeah. the decisions um, with the information that you have at the time that you have the information, and you know it's uh, sometimes it's it's tough and it's unfortunate, but uh, you know I think the hardest part for me has been saying goodbye to guys that yeah you know you're trying to find that delicate balance between. You know, guy on the on the back end of his career, you know, peaking, you know, uh, trades that, that you, you know, you didn't want to make or, hey, I never wanted to trade Adam Jones, but but yeah. that career was fantastic. You know, um, I can go back in the history of the game and or the history of our team in Colorado and, and look back on a lot of moves that uh, people would second guess, but, you know, they just didn't have all the information at the time that I had the information and had to make a decision.
2: Yeah. Um, you spoke of, um, the people representing G Nash. Um, do you feel that guys should have agents? No, Matt Vance, Matt the guy representing G Nash,
1: Rich oh, so yeah. right is a now. class act and a wonderful right. individual. So, um, <clears throat> do I think they should have agents? You know what? Sometimes it's, it's really, it's a preference thing. And I, and yeah. so many, you know, whether it's the money or not the money, you know, it's not a lot of money, but guys are, as passionate about their hundred dollars as, you know, an NHL guy is passionate about his hundred thousand and, you know, or a million or, or whatever the case may be. And it's about value. And it's about, you know, an acceptance, uh, or an allocation of value. And I think, you know, regardless of how much you pay a guy or how much he's made in the past or in the future, it's really about, you know, the assignment of value. Yeah. And, that's a passionate thing for guys. That's a passionate thing for somebody to understand, to feel like they're valued. Yeah. And so if they need an agent to get that for them, um, you know, then so be it. I've had great relationships with a lot of agents in the National Lacrosse League, every one of them, uh, with the exception of maybe a couple. But at the end of the day, I like working with agents because it's Ooh. easier to say no to an agent. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's much easier to say no to an agent than it is to a player in your face about, you know, all of his personal circumstances, why he yeah. needs more money. And, mm-hmm. and those don't necessarily sh- or shouldn't weigh into the decision of, of allocation of value, um, yeah. you know, the personal situation about w- what it is and what it is, but it's hard to say no to guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, it's been, I mean, Colorado has been a fantastic Opportunity, but I've told you this before. It's hard to win in Colorado when you have half your team or more than half your team for many, many years. Getting on a plane and flying probably the longest flight in the league, uh, and getting off it and practicing, and and you did it some this year when you were doing play-by-play for us. It's not easy. No, you know it's it's not easy. And every trip is a road trip for a lot of guys. And you look at Chris Wardle, who you traveled with who's got to get on a plane to Victoria and go to Vancouver or go to Seattle and change planes and change bags and do all those things. And, and you say, well, it's not that tiring. You're just sitting on a plane. Oh, it's um, tiring. But it's tiring, and, yeah. and it's hard. And so, you know, have we lived up to every expectation? No, we haven't. And that's that's one of the frustrating things and one of the you know regrets of mine um, for my career in Colorado is not being able to win more championships for our fans, and our fans yeah. deserve it. Uh, But circumstances, you know, and and I'm not going to make excuses, but you go up and down the list of of teams that uh, we lost to or teams that, you know, whatever happened, happened. And there's been, you know, I think good reason for the teams that have won. Yeah, we
2: haven't always been the best. Talk about that 2006 championship team. Um, It was uh, a team that uh, was was gritty. Um, You were a mix of Canadians and Americans. Uh, you won in one of the toughest barns to win in in Buffalo, and you kind of just put that team on their back heels the whole game. What do you remember about that team that made him so special? Well,
1: it was a tight knit group, and and that seems to be a theme. You know, mm-hmm. I, I read a lot about the the Georgia Swarm this year, tight knit group, and the Edmonton Rush, Saskatchewan Rush over the course of the last couple of years, and obviously Rochester and and everything you read about. Oh, it's a great group of guys, and we love being together. And I, I think our Colorado Mammoth team this past season was was a really tight-knit group and and fantastic. But, you know, it's interesting. I just picked up a book, literally just had it delivered, and it's called The Captain Class, and it's the Mm -hmm. hidden force that creates the world's greatest teams. And it's about a guy named – or it's written by a guy named Sam Walker. And it's really – he went back and he did a study on every winning team in every sport, major sports, obviously, Mm -hmm. through the whole process. And he – He came up with a corresponding um, formula that kind of said, okay, how do these teams win? And the single biggest, um, you know, factor that was present in all these teams was a great captain. And so, you know, Gavin Prout was a great captain. And Mm -hmm. the guys followed him and they wanted to follow him. And we had a lot of leaders on that team. We had a lot of guys they wanted to win and very talented, and, but we weren't necessarily the most talented. Um, but when it was time to step up and play, I think the leadership on that team, and obviously with guys like Pat Coyle, Chris Gill, um, you know, and, and Dave Stille, Hanson, mm-hmm. and Gavin Proud, and, and Gary Gate as a coach, and, and the list went on and on of guys that were leaders, but we had a great captain. And I think yeah. you could go down that list um, in the National Cross League and look at the quality of the captains, and and I think you would see a pattern in the nll as well. Uh, great captains win championships, and, and we had yeah. one in '06.
2: You also have been a very big proponent of bringing Americans through your organization. It helps that you're you're a Denver-based club, but um you know you talk about Hanford and Stilly, and then you have Jay Albert, and who was probably in my mind one of the best Americans to ever play, and it's unfortunate. His career kind of got cut short, but you know, he brought Casey Powell into the fold, and now you have a guy like Greg Downing, who's probably one of the best American defenders uh, we've ever seen. How in your tenure has the American ideology or, or mindset of box lacrosse players changed?
1: Well, I'll be honest. I'm a little disappointed at, you know, recent um, efforts to – to bring americans into our game and and it's no nobody's fault um, mm-hmm. i'm disappointed that i haven't brought more guys in and had more success with them and you know we've tried and i think mm-hmm. there's different ways and rules that we can we can implement to talk about that for the future of the nll but that's you know i, I think it goes back for me to a time and and mario neal would probably tell you the same thing because i know he was influenced a lot by this but playing with these guys with the Philadelphia wings when I was playing with them in the nineties and, you know, talk about a great captain, Scott Gabrielson, unbelievable mm-hmm. captain, uh, Jake Berge, who I'm going to see tonight, who's in town for the world series of lacrosse, but mm-hmm. you know, great American players played this game. You know, I, I ran into Sal Ocasio today, dropping yeah, names yeah. left and right, but Sal Ocasio, who's all the goaltender, who was one of the only American goaltenders who really, you mm-hmm. know, who jumped at the chance to play and played every game and was, was a really, you know, he was a fixture in the indoor game and, you know, he was a fixture in the middle. And and so that had a big influence on me. I think these guys can play. I think if given the opportunity and training, they can be good and they can be effective. And if we are going to expand in the future, American players will need to be a part of every team's roster and maybe not in Canada so much, obviously, but, Every American team is going to need American players on their roster to compete. Yeah. And and they've got to be good. They've got to be successful. And so trying to find guys in the mold of, of skilly Hanford, Jalbert Langtree list goes on and on, right? Powell, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and a number of Jake Bergie and a number of other guys that, yeah. that I had the great opportunity to play with in Philly, you know, and seeing what those guys did and going back to the 2002 heritage Cup which is almost a forgotten
2: game Mm -hmm.
1: when, you know, the Americans won, and I was the GM of that team, and the Americans won 16, I'm sorry, 26-15 against a really good Canadian team. And, you know, there was a ton of guys on that Mm -hmm. team. And, and, you know, I'd love to go back and talk about every player that was on that team, but they influenced me quite a bit, and they can play. And so Tom Schreiber, to me, wasn't a surprise. And I think I wrote a bit of a, an article, I think you helped me post yep. it, mid-season this year when we were talking about Tom Schreiber. Take nothing away from Tom Schreiber and Kieran McArdle. They had great mm-hmm. years. Greg Downing had great years. But there's been a long history of American players in the National Lacrosse League, and it needs to grow. And it Absolutely. has to grow in order for the, the league to be successful. And so the stuff that Matt Brown, Matt Brown is doing with this collegiate box league yep. is massive. And Absolutely. those games are being played and they're good and they're, and the you know it's not great lacrosse great lacrosse yeah. you know it's probably B level lacrosse currently but wait till 4 years from now when yeah. some of these kids start graduating from college and they're being drafted into the national lacrosse league and they've got 4 years of actual game experience behind them uh, and then there's tons and tons of other guys throughout North America or not North America, but throughout the U S that are making phone calls and saying, okay, how do we start this league in our hometown for collegiate players? You know, they do it in baseball. Baseball has collegiate summer leagues. And you wonder why these guys are prepared to play in the big leagues when they, they graduate from high school or college. And they graduate from summer league baseball because they understand travel. They understand getting off a bus and playing. They understand professionalism. Well, you know what? That's the stuff that Brownie's teaching them, and the U.S. box guys are teaching them in this this college box league. But there's got to be more Americans. So my philosophy is we need to train them, we need to, we need to find them, and we need to give them chances and let them
2: play. You speak of all these great Americans. Why don't we have guys like Casey Powell and Jake Berge and Reggie Thorpe in the Hall of Fame when they were such cornerstones uh, of the American sort of for, forefathers of lacrosse, and especially yeah, in, in the NLL? It's a great question. I I think
1: what happened, or what's happened is, Hall of Fame should be special. And Ooh. Hall of Fame should be limited in the number of players that they let in. I mean, that that's my philosophy. And as a member of that, that committee on Hall of Fames, I look at it and say, it should be limited. And so when Ooh. you have a guy like John Tavares, you know, retires. He's a first ballot guy. Yeah, <laughs> No yeah. question. Right? Tracy Kaluski, first ballot guy. And then then Jim Veltman. And there's this group of guys that started to kind of retire over the course of the last I'm going to say five, ten years, decade if you will, mm-hmm. that were locks to go in. And, you know, I think that, you know, John Grand Junior retires from lacrosse and he'll be a lock to go in. So when you only want to let it, you don't want to let in five guys because you want to make it special. Of course. So you let in five or 10 guys a year and it it makes it less special. So the fact that you guys have conversations like this saying this guy should be in and this guy should be in, you know what? I think that's great because it creates debate and Mm -hmm. hall of fame should be special. They should be held up for the greatest of the game. And I think the national lacrosse has done a pretty good job of that. You know, mm-hmm. and there's been some questions about this guy or that guy, or why isn't this guy in or that guy in? And you know what? They should be. And Casey just finished playing recently. So, you know, Casey will be in the in the National Lacrosse Hall of Fame, National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame. He's going in the U.S. for Cross Hall of mm-hmm. Fame this fall. But there will be guys. Jake Berge will go in. It's just a matter of, you know, when – Gary Gate, Paul Gate, Tom Marichek, Darius like the list, list of guys that's on Inski, Dietrich, you can't deny any of them deserve to go in. And so mm-hmm. I don't think any of these guys want to go in on an American category because right. that's not fair to them. They were great players in their own right. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I still think that limiting the number of people in the Hall of Fame is not a bad thing because mm-hmm. I think they deserve to be honored two guys deserve to be honored. And if you've ever been to one of these things, you know that it takes forever, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, and you, and you want to do that because they've earned the accolade. Yeah. I think it's very special and I think it deserves to be very special. And, and these are good players that will go in. They're going on the ballots. You know, they're, they're people that, you know, that people want to see in and guys that are in the hall of fame, they're going to start voting mm-hmm. early on. It was just guys on the board of governors who had never seen these guys play. Yeah. You know, they'd never seen them before. And now what you're seeing is with the voting and the community happening, coming from within the hall of guys that were in, yeah. they're going to start looking backwards and they're going to start saying, who are the great players that I played against or played with? And, and I think you're going to start to see a bit of an opening of different guys, but yeah. you know, Tim Sudan, like Tim Sudan, yeah. Reggie Thorpe, right. Yeah. There's just yeah. There's no stats Brilliant. for a guy like Reggie Thorpe, but Reggie Thorpe and Pat Coyle, in my opinion, were the two greatest defenders playing the game in the nineties. Yeah. And Reggie Thorpe deserves, deserves a look. Absolutely. Um, you know, there was a ton of guys that were really good. Yeah. And, and I, that's, that's the beauty and the really special part of the national lacrosse league is we have our own hall and, and i I can't wait to see the next kind of classes of guys going in because it's guys that, uh, that really deserve it.
2: Before we let you go, um, what's been the best part of your 15 years in Colorado? What are you going to miss the most? Well,
1: certainly the people, you know, I've, i worked with some amazing people in, in sports, great people uh, at the higher, you know, at the, at the top level, you know, I, I really appreciate Stan Kroenke, who, you know, he let me do my job. Um, he allowed us to put on a show and, and do what we needed to do to sell tickets and, and mm-hmm. gave us everything we ever asked for. So from, you know, Stan Kroenke on down to a number of other people who work in the Pepsi Center and do their job every day and, and probably don't get accolades for doing it. Yeah. They show up and they put on a great show. And, and it's going to be the people that I that I remember, guys like John Waldron and our – in our marketing department, our marketing department, in our merchandise department, you know, but the two guys that I appreciate the most, obviously, Josh Gross, who has been with me for 10 years and is going with me more. And that's, you know, there's a reason why I want to work with him some more and partner with him on other things, you know, Don Sunblade, who's been, you know, the rock of the mammoth and, and working with people like yourself, you know, and Mike Haynes and, and just a long list of guys and the players, yeah. who I've had the great opportunity to, to be able to bring through that organization. I was laughing to myself the other day, the, the number of marriages <laughs> of mammoth players to cranky sports employees <laughs> is pretty significant. Um, but, you know, the Johnny glance of the world and the Jesse glance yeah. of the world, but, you know, and, and the number of guys that met their wives through, you know, things that I had the opportunity to be a part of is, is something I'm proud of in building family. And family is very important. So the players are important. But it was the look, I think, that I'll walk away the most. It's the look on the face of the kids that got to see us put a show on in Pepsi Center. And Mm -hmm. and to have those kids pick up a stick and play the game, and now you're starting to see 15 years later, you're starting to see the effects of those kids starting to go to college and starting to be a part of a a lacrosse community community that, man, I sure hope one day they come back and start playing, you know, yeah. for the mammoth. Well, yeah, I don't think Costello is yeah. a great example of, you know, a kid that was a pure fan and went away to college and came back, and there's just so many of them. Um, but but the look on the fans' face and, and the fans, um, and so many of them come up to me, and you know what? Some of them are pissed off at me because <laughs> they just didn't win enough. Yeah. And at the end of the day, for those people I don't have a lot of time for, if you're pissed off at me too bad, um, but the goal was to entertain people, and I think we did that. And I think there's a lot of people that get it. Yeah.
2: Um, I, I don't think it's going to be too long until we see a, a Denver Holden Katoni. you know, a, a kid that grew up watching it, was maybe even a ball boy one day, and next thing you know was drafted by the Mammoth and playing for his hometown team. It, it's, it's been a long process, and it's been one that took off like wildfire, and it's continued success, and the Mammoth have been a flagship uh since day one and, and a lot of that has to do with pretty much all your hard work steven i thank you for bringing me into the family it's been a heck of a year and, and i know you have big things on the horizon we all can't wait to see what that is and see what more success you can bring to this lacrosse world well i appreciate it teddy good things are to come and and uh excited to like you said to see the the
1: next generation of lacrosse players come up in the process and certainly guys like Colin Monroe, who's, you know, won a Minto cup and going to Carolina and a guy like Jake Govett, who's playing up in Canada right now. And, you know, so seeing a bunch of owners and, and and GMs and all those guys watching their kids grow up and playing college and they're coming, you know, the next step. So, yeah, I'm excited about that and I'm excited for what the national lacrosse league next chapter is for me personally, but the NLL is, is on the rise. And uh, it's, it's going to be a fun ride for a lot of people. So those
0: are the words from Steve Govett. Take it for what you will. And understand that he is in a position where obviously he has something in the works. And he's unable to disclose that information for whatever reason. Um, whether he has an NDA or whether he's bound by contract. Or maybe he just doesn't have anything up his sleeves, but I'm pretty sure he does. And actually, I know he does. But there's so much to take away from what Steve Govett accomplished with the Colorado Mammoth. Um, First of all, we were talking about um, the Dylan Ward draft, of taking him third overall, the highest a goaltender has ever been picked. The two guys that went in front of him, Logan Shuss and Jason Noble. Shas won Rookie of the Year. Noble, just one Defensive Player of the Year. So he's in pretty good company in that draft class. Um, just quick note of fact, the second-to-last player taken in that draft, Chris Wardle, 2013, still in the National Lacrosse League. He was 54th overall. So just because you're drafted in the sixth round, kids, doesn't mean you can't have a career. Now back to Govet so many things we discussed and i don't want to continue to harp on the expansion stuff because until we hear anything until checks are signed it's all just speculation but talking about the growth of american indoor box lacrosse is huge and it's something that needs to continue to be done uh what he like you said what matt brown and the guys are doing uh, with the Colorado Collegiate Box Lacrosse League is incredible. Um, what the MCLA guys have been doing is incredible. The Baltimore Indoor Lacrosse League uh, has been sort of the fire starter from way back in the day, and they used to have a lot of American pros play in that league. That can help develop more guys. But what the Colorado League is doing is getting kids while they're in college. So if they do get that bug early, And they play two, three years in that league. Maybe spend a summer up in Canada after a couple of years. And like Steve said, after playing in that league for four years and they become ready to graduate and play in the National Lacrosse League, the amount of box-ready American players is going to be that much higher. And if we are going to add anywhere from two to four teams for 2019... We are going to need more American lacrosse players. That's a given. We're going to need more players, period, if we're going to add four teams in two years. Not just Americans. Americans, Canadians, Native Americans, Europeans, bring them all because we are going to need them. If you add four teams in two years, that's 80 roster spots. Call it almost 100 if you add in practice players. Third string goaltenders. All of those things. We are going to need box ready players in a heartbeat. Really quick. If this expansion starts rolling through like we all think it's going to. The other thing. And this goes back to sort of talking about American players. Is I still truly believe we need to start recognizing some of those great Americans. And not, like C said, they don't have to be in an American category. They need to be in the Hall of Fame for being the greatest players in the National Lacrosse League and in pro indoor lacrosse. And there are a bunch of American guys that are still sitting on the outside. Heck, there are still a bunch of Canadian guys sitting on the outside. There are a lot of guys that deserve at least a nomination for the Hall of Fame. And we've, at nausea, talked about my thoughts on the Hall of Fame here in this this podcast, but there will be a time when those guys get their just-deserved. And I can't wait for that moment because I truly believe once some of those pioneer American players start to get the recognition, you'll start to see more American kids waking up with their eyes saying, oh, wow, okay, we can actually make an impact. And I truly believe they can. Look at the amount of success those guys currently are having in the National Lacrosse League. And the success guys have had in the past playing in the National Lacrosse League, in the major indoor lacrosse league, even the Eagle Pro Box League back in the 70s, when the league, just like the Mill, when it originated, was mostly American players. Go back and watch some of those old MIL MILL games from the early '90s. I'll never forget the the Baltimore Thunder Detroit Turbos championship game that was played in Baltimore, a sold out arena in Baltimore, and one of the a fantastic lacrosse game. And most of the guys were all American, and it was great. The physicality was high. The entertainment was high. The play level of lacrosse was high. And it's going to have to get back there with the amount of Americans in the National Lacrosse League. And with expansion coming, it's going to have to happen pretty darn quick. Speaking of the National Lacrosse League and recognition and awards, uh, they did finish uh, their... NLL awards. We'll go through all of them one last time in case you missed some of them. Teammate of the year went to Mike Poolin. Sportsmanship, Jordan Hall. Defensive player, Jason Noble. So right off the hop, Georgia Swarm winning three straight uh, awards. Transition player, Brody Merrill. Goaltender of the year, Dylan Ward. Rookie of the year, Tom Schreiber. That was no surprise. MVP, Lyle Thompson. No surprise. The last Bartley award for top coach went to Eddie Como. GM of the Year, John Arlotta, Executive of the Year, Amber Cox from New England, and the Tom Borelli Award for Media Person of the Year, went to Friend of the Show, Jumbo Jake Elliott. So we talked about most of those awards last week on the show. Um, Some of the ones we didn't get to, of course, the MVP was a no-brainer, but let's talk about uh, Head Coach and GM of the Year. Both went to the Swarm to Eddie Como for Head Coach and General Manager is John Arlotta, and... I was on with uh, the folks over at Lax Sportsnet Friday when uh, the GM of the Year Award came out for John Arlotta. And they asked me, you know, is this a fine, finally a just-deserved tip of the hat for Mr. Arlotta? And I said, undoubtedly, yes. Because this is a guy who has been taken through the ringer and I have done it myself about, you know, giving him grief for some of the trades that he made and some of the draft day deals that he did and shipping away veteran players and shipping away fan favorites like Logan Shosh or Ryan Banesh or Andrew Souter. And it's been a long time coming. And a lot of people just kept on saying, oh, he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, He's just ruining his team. He's just ran them out of Minnesota, and he's not doing a very good job down in Georgia. Well, it turns out that all of these moves that he made eventually finally paid off. He has himself a winning team. He has himself a championship winning team, and he has a team that's built for success over the next X amount of years and still has a ton of draft picks in the fold. So, as much as people like to criticize Mr. Arlada, he has done a pretty decent job of turning a team that was mediocre into a championship-winning club. Now, the -the off-the-floor stuff still has a lot to be worked on. And if they can figure that out and piggyback off of this championship success and they can use their first three-round picks this year, yeah. Three first round picks again, four, seven, and nine. If they can use those to either get some more veteran talent, draft some young guys for the future, maybe draft guys for possible expansion, then he's going to continue to be putting his team in a position to win championships. They just have to focus on the off floor stuff because head coach of the year, Eddie Como pretty much has that team dialed in. And I think, like I said, this is a club that's built for winning. They're young, they're fast, they're very committed to each other, and they're not going to slow down anytime soon. Now, when expansion comes, that's a completely different story because teams are going to start to lose guys and teams are going to have to start working their lineup and their roster depth full of guys that they'd be willing to give up during expansion. And it will be an interesting choice to see what teams do when that time comes. Because you're going to see a team like Calgary, who can't keep two goaltenders, have to make a decision between Christian Del Bianco, who still many believe to be the goalie of the future, and the goalie of the now, Frankie Shiliano. Um, there's going to be a ton of guys exposed. And I think that's great. Look, what all, look at all the guys the Las Vegas Knights got in their expansion draft and all the draft day moves that they made to get different guys and stockpile draft picks. That's going to happen in the National Cross League in a couple of years. So, stockpiling picks, stockpiling depth, grabbing veterans, all those things are going to be a very integral part to a general manager's daily duties, knowing of what's to come in the future. But for now... We just have to kind of sit back and wait. You know, NLL teams are allowed to start making some transactions. Nothing has really taken place as of yet. There's been no real moves of any type by any teams, uh, whether it be um, signing guys or anything of the like. But come August 1st, when free agency opens, that's when things are going to start to get you know, a little more excitable. But we've still got a long way to go for that. In the meantime, there's still lots of lacrosse being played up here north of the border. Uh, the WLA trade deadline came and went with little fanfare at all. I don't think there was a single deal done at the deadline. There were some minor movements, you know, teams releasing guys from the roster or, or moving guys to a suspended list or uh, over to the IR. The only real move of significance was the Victoria Shamrocks adding Joe reza to their team. And that is a huge boost for them because they're a team that needs a little more offensive depth on that right side. It hasn't been working for them. Reese Dutch has been in and out of the lineup as of late. So they're hoping that Joey reza will give them some boost. They activated Evan Messenger finally. Um, Elsewhere, the Burnaby Lakers added Ilya Geitz to their team. Uh, Tyler Digby was activated from the suspension list. Josh Byrne was added to their list. So with all these guys coming back from college, um, finishing their duties elsewhere around the world, teams kind of bolstered their lineups. Now, the trade deadline is done. Now we can kind of start to move forward and see how these teams shape up. And the WLA continues to tighten up because... There's three teams at the top of the standings that are all separated by one point. Victoria, Burnaby, and Maple Ridge are the top three clubs. Victoria and Burnaby have a game in hand. They both tied a game, which gives them that extra point ahead of Maple Ridge. They are both 7-3-1. The Brards, who just beat Victoria on back-to-back nights last week, are 7-3-0 and one point behind. And even though the... Power rankings that came out courtesy of Subway and Lacrosse Talk still have the Victoria Shamrocks ahead of the Maple Ridge Barards. I think the Barards are the top team in the WLA right now. Now, I may get some flack from that from some of my Victoria people. But what they did to them in back-to-back games is impressive. They have now the tiebreaker on the Shamrocks, and they beat them on their home floor, and they beat them on the road. So this is a club that nobody can sleep on. And I said that last year. And they are living off of that power from last year of going to a man cup. And their team just continues to add little pieces here and there. It is going to be a dogfight. The bottom four teams, New West, Coquitlam, Nanaimo, and Langley. Now, Langley, still 1-9-0. I don't want to write anybody off this spot like at the midway point of the season, but Langley has a really long shot at getting the playoffs. We can pretty much put an X by their name right now. I don't like doing it, but they've got a long way to go. Nanaimo, just four points back in New Westminster for fourth. They've got a way to go. Coquitlam, three points back, and has game in hands on all the teams ahead of them in the standings, so they can have some ground to make up. Is it possible? Well, they beat pretty much everybody ahead of them, and they're starting to show some signs of being a team on the rise. They, like Maple Ridge a few years ago, were really young offensively, have some great talent, much like the just need to figure out that back end and goaltending situation. But other than that, you know, they could easily make a push. And I would love to see it. New blood in the playoffs for me is always a good thing. So that's the WLA. Out east, again, still a two-horse race, but Brooklyn is making a real charge of it. Six Nations and Peterborough, 17 points and 16 points. And Brooklyn now, with 12 games played, they are 6-4-2. They have 14 points. So they're just two points back of the borough, three points back of the Chiefs. But they do have played, they have played 12 games. So the team's ahead of them can kind of recreate that separation. Now, the big news from the other week was that loss by Peterborough to KW, or sorry, to Coburg, they used to be KW, um, which gave Coburg their first win of the season and it handed Peterborough their first loss of the season. Shout out uh, to Kevin Croswell, who was in the net for the Coburg Kodiaks and got the win. Bit of a journeyman in between the pipes and he was there for the Kodiaks as they won their first game in the major series league this year, had in the Lakers their first loss. So, you know, you have your top three teams and then the bottom three, Oakville, Brampton, Coburg. I still think you could pencil those four teams in of the nation's borough, Brooklyn, and Oakville into the playoffs. Brampton's got a long way to go and Coburg, much like Langley, pretty much already out of it. Now... What's really getting exciting is the junior leagues because they are pretty much in their last week of the regular season. The BC Junior A League ends, their regular season ends on Saturday. The Ontario Junior A League ends on the 14th. And the Rocky Mountain Lacrosse League ends their regular season on Friday. So we're getting into the stretch drive before we start naming some teams that are going to be heading to Brampton for the Minto Cup. Out West, of course, as it's always been for quite some time, it's the Coquitlam Adnax way up ahead in the standings at 19-1. 38 points, followed by, most likely as always, the new Westminster valleys But the surprise of the year is the fact that the Poco Saints are all the way up in third place. Why is that such a surprise? Well, let's go back. To last year, where they finished fourth. A little bit of an improvement. How about 2015? Where did the Poco Saints finish? Oh, seventh. How about 2014? Because this is a trend of how a team can slowly start to build to become better. Oh, in 2014, they only won two games. Back to 2017. This is a club that has 12 wins on their season. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10. They're on a five-game winning streak. This is a team that continues to progress. And I think, again, great for the Junior A League. The Langley Thunders sitting in fourth. The drop of the Delta Islanders is one of the big surprises of the year. They were on a huge run for the past three, four, five years of trying to break into the top two of Coquitlam and New West. They did it last year by overseeding Coquitlam and winning the BC Junior A title. And then all of a sudden they dropped down to seventh. It's the crash and burn of the Islanders. And it's unfortunate to see because that was a junior program that was really starting to gain some ground. And now they've fallen all the way back down to seventh. And they've watched the Lakers, the Thunder, the Saints, and the Shamrocks all move past them in the standings. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. In the Rocky Mountain League, the Okotok Raiders are the number one team in the Rocky Mountain Junior Lacrosse League. They are eight points ahead of the Junior Mounties who are four points ahead of the junior SWAT. The Raiders, 17-1, and and pretty much have a lock on the RML. The Adnax, 19-1, and have a lock on the regular season title. I don't really see them being pressed too much during the playoffs. Uh, If they meet New West in the finals, which often is the case, uh, I think it'll be a good series, but I don't think Pat Coyle is going to let his charges drop another BC title. And then out in Ontario, Six Nations is your number one seed. They, too, have an eight-point gap over second place. And that team just happens to be Brampton, who just so happens to be the Minto Cup host. So I like the fact that Brampton has a competitive team this year because there's nothing worse in my mind. When we do this sort of four-team Memorial Cup format where you have a host team and then the three provincial winners, when that host team is a team that doesn't make the playoffs and isn't very good and then has a long layoff between their final regular season game because they missed the playoffs. They don't play another game until August when the Minto Cup comes around. So I like the fact that Brampton is competitive uh, and they're battling for a top playoff spot. They're six points ahead of Mimico. They're five, sorry, seven points ahead of both Whitby and Orangeville. And then Burlington comes in at fifth place or in sixth place So in all three leagues, you have a team at the top, a gap, and then a cluster of teams battling out for those remaining playoff spots. And that's going to lead to pretty competitive playoff lacrosse. And there's nothing better than playoff lacrosse in Canada when you have best of fives, best of sevens, and some of these rivalry series like New West and Coquitlam. Those guys meet in the finals again. It's going to be off the chains. Brampton, Six Nations, that'll be a good series. And I like that we have competitive lacrosse throughout. Sure, you have teams running away with it, and you have teams toiling at the bottom. But that middle pack, that meat of the sandwich, is where you're going to see some great lacrosse come playoff time. So, now what? Well, there are a couple news and notes that have sort of floated by the lacrosse world. Uh, I meant to mention this last week, uh, but Kyle Sorensen is back playing lacrosse. Uh, many of you remember that Kyle Sorensen was, was a member of the Peterborough Lakers for a long time, uh, and then once he moved out here as a member of the Vancouver Stealth, um, he kind of had stopped playing summer ball for a while, and then he got injured, and he stopped playing lacrosse altogether. He announced his retirement. He became the assistant general manager um, with the Vancouver Stealth. But it looks like he's healthy. It looks like he's playing without a brace. And he's with the Burnaby Lakers. Obviously, the Peterborough connection with him and Jim Milligan allowed him to sort of have familiarity with a guy on the bench. And he become a bit of a leader for that group. And, and so that's great to see um, because I'm a huge Kyle Sorensen fan. He's a salt of the earth dude. And it's great to see him back playing lacrosse. I don't know if we'll ever see him in the NLL again, uh, but if he can get you know a good summer under his belt, maybe he takes off that retirement label and tries his hand back in the NLL. Uh, elsewhere in the lacrosse world, the Under Armour All-American game happened over the weekend, and if you haven't seen some of the highlights, um, well, there's nothing good defensively about it. And that's okay because it's an all-star game. And a lot of times in those games, defenses are put on the back burner for the offensive guys. The D guys will always have their opportunity to strip-check a guy and and make a highlight tape. But this was all about the offensive guys. And there were some great goals, but there were some even better celebrations. If you go, um, ESPN has a clip of a bunch of the celebrations, and there was an RKO out of nowhere, there was a human bobsled, there was a bicycle ride. It was like watching the CFL during the fun days all over again. And there's been a lot of complaints and criticism about the All-Star game and how it's sort of turned into a showboat stage. Well, as someone said on Twitter, when these kids are in high school and when they're in college, they don't get to do those kinds of things. Because they'll get flagged for excessive celebration. So in a fun, all-star game-type environment, what's the harm in letting these kids express themselves? And for all those people who were getting upset and angry and saying it was a disservice to the sport, settle down. There's nothing wrong with these kids having a little bit of fun. And I enjoyed every minute of it. And you're probably going to see a bit of it at the MLL All-Star game that's coming up shortly because you can almost guarantee that those guys are going to do some things weird and awesome. And I don't have an issue with it. If it spits in the face of, like, if it's it's an All-Star game, in a regular season game, okay, I have an issue with it. But these are kids in an all star game. Let them have their fun. I don't get why people are so up in arms about it. It's a disgrace to the game. No, it's not. It's kids having fun, enjoying their last high school game of their career, and putting on a bit of a show. Finally, the European Championships. Get going in Turku, Finland, in the next couple of days. July 8th, to be exact. Uh, you can go on to Facebook, just Google European box Cross championships. You can find their page there. There's tons of information. Uh, and you can also find a link to fanseat.com, where all the games will be aired uh, View webcast. Stephen Stamp is going to be doing the play-by-play Uh, All the games are there, and there are a ton of teams in this tournament. Israel, Ireland, Turkey, Serbia, England, the Czech Republic, Finland, Germany, Sweden, Poland, Switzerland, Netherlands, Austria, and Slovakia. And all the games get started on the 8th, and it is going to be one heck of a tournament. Go to their Facebook page, check out some of the videos, check out the arena they're playing in. It is absolutely phenomenal. The fact that this is a, you know, it's a European hockey rink and they've converted it into a box surface. It's the the Marley Arena and it looks incredible. I hope we get some awesome, awesome pictures and videos from this tournament because if it's anything like any of those hockey tournaments like the Spangler Cup and the World Hockey Championships that go on over there, it is going to be off the charts nutty. Still on my bucket list to get to, along with the Alish Herbesky tournament. That'll do it. Um, It's been another great week. It's been a busy week. And there's still lots of news to come. Expect some announcements from the National Cross League coming over the next couple of weeks about some of the things that we talked about here on the show. Uh, We'll update you on the European box lacrosse championships next week. uh, And we'll just continue to bring you any news that breaks whenever it breaks as best that we can. Drop me an email, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter at OffTheCrossbar. And until then, take a friend to a game, take a friend, take two. The more friends you have, the more fun they'll have, too. Until then, be excellent to each other.